grace that is greater than all of our sin. That's amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. Thank you, Jesus. Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 17. We will continue in John chapter 17 today. Jesus has finished the Passover supper. He's given his final teachings to his disciples. He taught them in both words and actions to humble themselves and love each other. Jesus now turns from his teaching his disciples to praying for himself, for them, and for us today. We saw last time in verses 1 through 5, Jesus praying to God the Father to glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. That's how he started his prayer. All that Jesus prays for is the ultimate purpose of bringing glory to God the Father. That's what it's all about. That's what it was all about for him. And, and really, that's, that's where we need to have our focus in our own lives. Now, our main purpose in our life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's what we're made for. Jesus is modeling that for us in his prayer to the Father. Now in verses 6 through 12, where we'll be today, he's praying for the protection, the preservation, and unity of his chosen ones, the elect, particularly the disciples who he was speaking in front of. And later on in the prayer, we see also for us today, those who would believe in his name through their preaching, their proclamation. That's us. And all believers throughout the generations. This prayer is so rich and beautiful and true, and and it's just glorious for us to walk through together today. And we can actually see as we read through the New Testament, most of Paul's letters were even based on the contents of this prayer, teaching us to basically live out. This prayer of loving each other and being one and unified in the body of the church, just as Jesus and the Father are one. And I really see three main points here in verses 6 through 12 uh, that I want to focus in on today. There are many things we could focus in on, but the Lord has impressed on my heart these these three main uh, points for today. Number one, that that God has chosen and accepted you. God has chosen and accepted you and me. That God protects you and keeps you. And that we, therefore, should accept each other and live in unity for the glory of God. It's Jesus' prayer for us. So let's read verses 6 through 12, and then we'll dig in together. John chapter 17, verse 6, Jesus continues his prayer to the Father. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. 
and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. God, help us to understand them. Help us to see your beauty in them. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts, God. Help us to feel your love and your joy and your peace, knowing that you have chosen us out of this world, that you have guarded us, Lord, and, and protected us, that none of us can be snatched out of your hand, Lord, and help us to understand these things and grow in our love and unity with each other and for each other, God. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear in this time, Lord, and May our love grow for you and for each other as we dig into your word. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So first we see right out of the gate, verse 6. God has chosen and accepted you. God has chosen and accepted you. We see repeatedly in these verses the words, people whom you gave me out of the world. You gave them to me out of the world. We know from earlier in John chapter 6, verse 44, that no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws them. We know from John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I've given them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Many of us know that we are chosen by God. We know about this. We know this intellectually. But it's hard for us to connect this to our daily lives and feel the utter and complete joy of God made full in our hearts because of it. And I want us to feel that today, because if you go on to verse 13, he said that my joy may be made full in them. Jesus cares about your joy. That should put a smile on every one of our faces this morning on a on a cold, rainy day. That we can wake up in the, in the morning and say, I am chosen by God. Hallelujah. He chose me. He accepted me. And we should well up with joy in our souls over that. You know, I used to wake up in the morning and I'd just start my prayer list of all the things that I need God to do. And he's really like worked on my heart these days and turned that toward a, a, a prayer of thanksgiving in my heart. Thank you, Jesus, for 
choosing me. Thank you, Jesus, for the life you have given me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me, for accepting me. Whenever I'm feeling down or like I think something should go a different way, I'm just turning that prayer to thank you, Jesus. And and it's not shallow. I really mean it from the depth of my soul. Thank you, Jesus, for choosing me, loving me, and saving me. Because at the core of life, you peel back the whole onion of life. That is the core of life. Where your soul lives. And so I want us, church, today, brothers and sisters, to just feel the, the gravity, the heavy, the weightiness of this in our souls this morning. God has chosen you and accepted you. It's beautiful. Ephesians 1 gives us a beautiful picture of what being chosen by God means for us. And I've been reading through this. You can preach sermon on ser- sermon after sermon on Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. But I can't think of a better illustration for, for what this means. The Apostle Paul really expands on this, and he helps us to understand, because that seems like an abstract topic, right? God has chosen me. Okay, that's cool. I'm on God's team. Yeah, that's cool, I guess. You know, a lot of us have trouble connecting that to like our daily lives. So if you turn to Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 3, like even mark it in your margin there, John, I just want to read through this. And I want it to just kind of soak into us. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So there, right out of the gate, every spiritual blessing you can possibly have is yours. It's yours. The gift is presented. Oftentimes, though, we're not interested in that. We just kind of back away from it. Like, I want the worldly blessings, God. Now, I can see those. I can touch those. I can feel those. I can count those. Spiritual blessings? Okay, well, what does that even look like? Even verse four, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. So mark that you are chosen before the world was even created. You're not chosen because of anything great that you've ever done or even would do. You're chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That you would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. I mean, look at the force of these words. It's been lavished on you. It's like you're buried in all this blessing and grace and love. It 
in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. You see how all this works together for God's glory? We're blessed that we can glorify God like a mirror reflecting the brightness of his glory to this world. In him also, there's more, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Operators are standing by. Wait, there's more. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So this is where you see two sides of a coin here. You see God's choosing and your believing. Those two things work together. You, go, you, get, you get into trouble when you go too far one way or too far the other way with those doctrines. You are chosen in him. Yes. And this is one passage, by the way, right? You are chosen in him. You believe in him. Both of those things are necessary and both are true. You believed in him. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? So notice what has happened in our lives because of God choosing you and choosing me. Notice what's happened. You're blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You were chosen in him before the world was ever created. He chooses you because he chooses you. You know, you play on the playground and like, you know, you're playing football or a sport or something and you've got teams and you're picking teams and like nobody wants to be picked last. You know, all that stuff. I've been through that. I was always picked last. Uh, and I was a skinny guy who didn't look very athletic. So I'm always picked last. I was in that situation. I was chosen based on my ability. Right? And that's the way we choose people for our work teams, for you know, clubs or these types of things. We choose people based on how they look or their abilities, those types of things. God chooses you because he chooses you. Not on any works or abilities you have ever done or have or will do. He just chooses you because he chooses. Praise God for that, because I would not, I'd be the absolute last person to pick F ever. You're chosen. You can't earn his choosing and acceptance. You are, you know, the other word used for this throughout the New Testament is in throughout the Bible is you are adopted. You're adopted as his child through Jesus Christ. So you're not only like on God's team. No, you are adopted into the family of God. You are a child of God with all the benefits and privileges thereof. You're his child. You've been adopted. He redeemed you from your sins through the blood of Jesus. So not only have we been brought in, but he's cleaned us all up. And I have this vision in my mind, like, okay, I'm this poor, dirty, destitute, uh, little orphan boy who's in my sins wallowing in the mire. And God says, I want him. 
God says, I want you. And he pulls us up out of that mire and he cleans us up and he sets our feet on a rock and he puts a new song in our mouth, a song of praise to him. So that many will see and hear and trust in the Lord God. That's what he has done for us in choosing you and me. And not only that, as his child, you have an inheritance of eternal life and blessings forevermore in him. And your faith is part of this. When you heard the gospel of truth, you believed in Jesus and were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And all of this is to the praise of his glory. So I encourage you, read Ephesians 3, 1, 3 through 14, over and over again. Just kind of meditate on that. You might be hearing this like for the first time in a long time. And, and still it seems a little bit abstract. Meditate on those truths. And when you are walking through the valley of deep darkness in your life, the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, trusting in your perfect heavenly father who has had all of these blessings for his child. Now, Ephesians 1 is not the only place we see this. We, we see this truth of being chosen and being adopted all over the Bible. Romans 8, 15 says it this way, all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. And we will talk more about the sufferings of our faith uh, next time. So we see it there in Romans chapter 8. We also see this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, there it is again. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So this truth of being adopted, chosen, and accepted by God, it does seem to be difficult to understand. And I'm, I'm adding the terms here, accepted, because I think what I've seen in my life is anxiety and fear often fill our hearts and are, and are driven by the thought of not being accepted by God and, and by others. Think about that for a minute. You feel anxiety or fear. It often has its root in acceptance. <clears throat> Accepting yourself, acceptance from others, and ultimately acceptance of God. We don't understand deep in our hearts and souls that we have been chosen and accepted. And so 
anxiety and fear work in our minds and work their way into our hearts because we're not leaning on that promise of God that we are chosen and accepted. We have fear and anxiety of unacceptance. And it starts in ourselves. We are our own worst critic. I, in the workplace, ask people to do like a self-evaluation and then I do an evaluation. We have these employee evaluations that everybody hates. And when I do that, the people that, when they do their self-evaluation, it's always much more critical than what anything I have to say. It just is, almost across the board. I'm like, wow, pretty hard on yourself. And that's like, that's that internal voice in our minds that's just constantly gnawing at us. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not fit enough. You're not rich enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. And we don't accept ourselves. We don't. We've always got this list of things that we need to get better at. And in this culture, particularly this American culture, it's, it's pervasive. We live in a performance culture. It is ingrained from a very young age that if you're not busy being productive, then you're kind of worthless. Just lazing around. What are you doing that's productive? Get to work. I mean, that has been ingrained in me since I can remember. We don't accept ourselves. And then, then we, you know, we, we want to be accepted by others. And social media really feeds on us. You're constantly looking for likes. Everyone wants likes. If I put a post out there and somebody doesn't like it, well, they're, they're mad at me. <laughs> They must be upset with me. What's, what's wrong with them? Something's wrong. Maybe they just didn't see it yet. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they didn't like it. <gasps> Acceptance. We want likes. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted. And, and really, this is, this is driven to ultimately needing, desiring, wanting the acceptance of God. Our egos, they, they crave power and influence, and they, they constantly wage war in our minds to get what they want. We can't seem to accept ourselves and just be still and be. <clears throat> now, fear and anxiety are very different, actually, but both are pervasive. And I see a lot of fear and anxiety in our hearts these days. It's been around forever. I just see it more the older I get. Fear and anxiety are different, but they're both pervasive. Fear has a definite object that you can act upon. Love can conquer fear. Anxiety has no object. It's just a state of helplessness due to the unknown. And you'll, if, you're, if you're really looking carefully at it, you'll see that. You know, I'm afraid that my car will break down on the road and I'll be stuck. I mean, that, that's fear. I'm anxious about this. I can't put my finger on it. I just feel anxious. It has no object that can be dealt with. It's just there. Anxiety. The sting of fear is anxiety, and anxiety strives toward fear because fear can be met by courage 
and overcome. And both fear and anxiety have their root, at their root, acceptance. Acceptance of yourself by others and ultimately acceptance by God. And as I was preparing this and thinking about it, I thought all the way back to Cain and Abel. What got Cain so upset? Acceptance. Made his great offering to the Lord, and his offering was not accepted. It wasn't. Now, we, we don't know exactly why. But this has been going on since the beginning of uh, creation, pretty much. As soon as we were cast out of the garden, acceptance. Cain's offering was not acceptance. Accepted. That caused him so much anxiety that he killed his brother Abel over that. He was jealous of Abel. So you see where all the negatives come in from that? He ended up killing his brother Abel. Jesus does not want us to live in anxiety and fear. Over and over again, as he's teaching, he points out anxiety and fear in those who are following. And he doesn't want us to live in anxiety and fear. And so when we're feeling fear, we're feeling anxiety in our hearts, know that we don't have to feel that way. Jesus doesn't want us to feel that way. God does not want us to feel that way. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught us not to be anxious. Anxious about what to wear or what to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Look at the birds. They don't worry about what they're going to eat. God feeds them. All they do is eat. <laughs> All they do is eat. Watch birds. What are they doing? They're flying. They're eating. They're flying to eat. Hopping around on the ground, eating. All they do is eat all the time. They eat more than teenage boys. <laughs> There's plenty of food for the birds to eat. <laughs> so let's take a look at the birds. God feeds them. And don't worry about what you're going to wear. Coolest stuff around. Don't worry about that. Take a look at the flowers of the fields. God makes them beautiful, more beautiful than even Solomon's greatest clothes. Man, he was a great dresser. <laughs> and the best clothes you can, you can buy, richest guy ever. Bill Gates was poor compared to Solomon. So like, don't worry. Don't be anxious about these things. He told Martha that she was so anxious and troubled about so many things. You remember the scene where... Jesus shows up and, and Martha's, you know, trying to serve and put on a great luncheon, you know, we're great at luncheons. And so she's trying to give a great luncheon and, and she's working and working. And Mary's just sitting there listening to Jesus's teaching and Martha's upset. Lord, get her moving. Can't you see I'm doing all the work around here? It's like, Martha, Martha, you're so anxious. You're so troubled about so many things. Just be still. I'm not going to kick Mary and make her work. <laughs> She's chosen the right thing. Learn from her. Don't be anxious. 
the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord again, I will say it, rejoice. Always rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Anything, Paul? And this is the Apostle Paul. I mean, the guy got stoned almost to death with rocks. They were killing him with rocks and prisons and beatings and all of his you know, credentials were thrown in the trash, basically. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees and got kicked out of everything. He gave up everything. If anybody had a right to be anxious, it'd be Paul. Like, Man, Paul, you lost everything. How are you dealing with this, buddy? Be anxious about nothing. But instead, do what? So you want the cure for anxiety. You can't just say, okay, I'm not going to be anxious. You've got to turn that and replace the anxiety with something else. When you put off the old, you've got to put on something new. If you put off the old and leave a void, well, guess what? The old's going to come back even stronger than ever. So do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, that means asking God for things, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Then what will happen? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the cure for anxiety in our hearts. So an anxious person is not a very prayerful person. And that's an amen or an ouch. An ouch for me, because when I'm anxious, like, oh, I pray. Well, I guess I don't pray that much I need to. I wouldn't be so anxious. You pray more, anxious less. Then I will have the peace of God that will guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And your friends will be like, how can you not be worried about this? Well, that's why it says the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Because we should be worried about it, according to the world. That we can have peace. Let go. Trust God in it all. God has chosen you. God has accepted you. Rest in that truth today. Next, we see that not only has God chosen us, but he also protects us and he keeps us. I talk to many people who have anxiety, worry, fear that they could lose their salvation. How do I know I'm saved? How do I know? Yeah, I, I, I believe, but what if I lose my salvation? It's a real fear for many people. Well, in verses 11 and 12, we see Jesus and God keeping us in his name. Back to John 17. They're keeping us in his name. You are guarded and kept by God. You are accepted and eternally secure in God. He chose you, and as we've read, nothing can snatch you from his hand. Nothing. You are in his hand. His mighty right hand. Use that imagery. And nothing can get in there to snatch you away. No one's strong enough to pry that hand open and get you out. You're there in his hand. 
He is the shepherd and guardian of our souls, 1 Peter chapter 2. And so, you know, we often have anxiety and fear over rejection and abandonment by others and ultimately by God. Yes, he's accepted me, but what if he rejects me? Or yes, that person likes me now, but what if they reject me? There's fear, there's anxiety in that, especially in relationships. I see this especially strong in those who have been through a divorce or those who have been orphaned by their parents. There is a deep anxiety over rejection, abandonment, even though their life is very good right now. And they know it. But that fear, that anxiety is just kind of always haunting in the back of their minds. And sometimes it's triggered by certain events that they don't even understand, but it's real. And, and the feelings are real. There's, a, there's always this anxiety and fear that they may be rejected again or abandoned again. Sometimes the fear is so debilitating that these people can't be away from family or even alone in solitude. So when the fear of rejection and abandonment creep into your life, take a breath. Take a breath and know that God chose you for salvation. And that salvation is guarded by him and, and it never fades away. It never fades away. And I think 1 Peter chapter 1 describes this very well. And it's the foundational verse of this church. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is what? The salvation of your souls. You are accepted. You are guarded by God. Nothing can snatch you away from his choosing, nothing. So knowing this helps us feel the joy of Christ fully in our hearts. You are chosen, not forsaken. You're a child of God. 
May the joy of that truth fill our hearts. Yes, there will be suffering and trials in our lives. Yes, there will. And these will test the genuineness of your faith. In these times, breathe in and thank God for his love. That will help you feel the peace of God. Just take a breath in. And thank you, God, for your love. You know, the storm's raging all around me. I can't control any of that storm that's raging all around me. Take a breath in and just thank God for his love. And breathe out and smile and ask God to help you feel his peace and his joy in the midst of that raging storm of life that you have no control over. Just breathe and thank God for his love and feel his joy and peace in your soul in those moments. And just repeat that over and over and just feel the joy of Christ fulfilled in your hearts. That was his prayer for us, that his joy may be made full in our hearts, brothers and sisters. That in the midst of all the, the muck and the mire and the nastiness of life, we can smile and have joy in that. And it is possible. I see it. I pick up these Voice of the Martyrs magazines. I'm like, oh my goodness, you read the story. And here's this guy in Africa with flies in his eyes smiling. And I read the story, I'm like, how is he smiling? Everything has been stripped away. And he knows he's a child of God. Accepted and chosen. And it's probably because everything that's been stripped away that he can actually get to that point of real joy. So when God starts stripping away from our lives, brothers and sisters, which he will, count it all joy. Man, that's easy to say right here, right now. When you go out that door and life hits you smack in the face, like, ooh, that hurt. Count that as joy? I'm chosen. I'm accepted. I'm guarded. I'm loved. I will rejoice in suffering. So we are chosen of God. We are protected by God. And all of this, therefore, should lead us to accept each other and live in unity for the glory of God. Jesus prayed here in these verses that, so all of these things he said before, he says that, so that, he's driving to this point, they may be one even as we are one. And you remember Jesus' main command for us, his final command was to what? Love one another. This is my commandment. He said it multiple times, that you love one another, that your joy may be full. You sing that song, college worship, campus crusade stuff all the time. I love that song. This is my commandment, that you love one another, that your joy may be full. <laughs> it's great. I still remember 30 years later. That your joy may be full. 
You want your joy to be full? Start loving each other, starting in our families, brothers and sisters, <laughs> husbands and wives, in this room, in our community. Love one another, that we will be one. If we can love each other who we can see, then we can love God who we cannot see. And the corollary of that is also true. If you can't love the people you can see, you can't love God who you can't see. When we love each other, we can live in unity and oneness with each other and with God. Now, this, this is uh, impossible without the help of the Spirit of God in our hearts, because our egos are so huge, they want what they want, and we're always bumping up against each other's egos constantly. That's where conflicts arise. But Romans 14 and 15 give us some very practical instructions on this. I encourage you to go back and listen to the messages on these passages on our website. I'm going to hit the highlights, though, as we close today. Romans 14, 1 through 3, <clears throat> shows us practical ways we can show love to each other and love each other. Look at the words Paul uses here. Now, accept the one, accept the one who is weak in faith because God has accepted him. Strong, strong connection to what we're reading here in, in John 17. God has chosen you, accepted you. We should accept each other, warts and all. There is no perfect person. There is no perfect church. It doesn't exist. As soon as I walk through the door, as soon as you walk through the door, the perfect church is gone. We're sinners. Accept the one who is weak in faith because God has accepted him. God has accepted him. Why can't you accept him or her? Are you better than God? Think about that. When you're not accepting someone because they have a disagreement with you or a different view on things, or you don't like the way they dress or uh, any one of these things, you know, what they do for fun, movies they watch, music they listen to. And you don't have to be best friends with them and hang out with them constantly, but we should love them and accept them for who they are. God has. Are you better than God? Sometimes we think we are. That's why we act like that. It's really the primary struggle of the church today, accepting and loving each other so that we live in unity and harmony with each other and with God. Romans 15, the first seven verses, give us even more details on that. We who are strong ought to bear with the weaknesses of those without strength and not please ourselves. We don't live to please ourselves. Mark that. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. That means building them up. We love, we serve to build others up, not to build ourselves up. For even Christ did not please himself. Jesus didn't live to please himself. 
He showed us the way. The way is the cross. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me daily, daily, every day. He showed us the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Jesus didn't live to please himself. He didn't come to judge and condemn. He came in humility to love and serve. And he has called us to the same. And he showed us the way, and he is the way. So I want to stop there today, and we'll continue next time. But as we go from here, remember and rest in the truth that you are chosen and accepted. You are guarded and kept. Nothing can snatch you from the Father's hand. And knowing that, knowing that, ask God, show me, God, how can I be more loving and accepting and kind and gentle and all the fruit of the Spirit towards my family, husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, moms, dads, and toward each other in our church community? God, help us do all of these things and know all of these things that our joy may be made full to the glory of God the Father. <coughs> Amen. <coughs>